Hello and welcome to Infinite Pixels. Uh, my name is Jordan, and with me this month is Ryan. Hello, I'm Ryan, and I'm with you this month. <laughs> Every month we come together, we talk about a video game, and this month we played Bastion, and now we're going to talk about it. The hit video game Bastion from 2011 on the Xbox 360. Did it debut? Yeah, it did debut on the 360, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not from 2011, is it? It is. I thought it was like 2015. No. Oh, okay. Wow. 2015. I, I mean, I don't know because you played on PS4. Mm -hmm. It said 2015 on the title screen. Yeah, and I think that's because that's the when it came out on PS4. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah. Wow, 2011. I didn't realize it was over a decade old. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. crazy. So, uh, if you've never played Bastion, it's an isometric... Uh, they describe it as like an RPG, but it's more like action-y. Isn't there a word for this kind of game? Like a, it's not a dungeon crawler, is it? I mean, isometric uh, action game. Sure. Like kind of like Diablo, right? Like that camera. And it's the same studio that did Hades, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is the this uh, studio's first game. The studio is uh, Super Giant Games. It's like like I think. Because uh, you saw that documentary, they're like there was seven people who made it. Yeah, it was a small team, and uh, it was very inspiring in the, in the documentary. Like one of the creative leads behind the game was like, "I just decided to start my own game company," and my dad was like, "You can do it uh, from my house." And so I started this game company, and then yeah. we made Bastion. Was, I'm Amir Rao is the, um, uh, I think he's like the studio director. I'm gonna get that completely wrong, but. Uh, Amir had said, like, oh, like, I want to start this studio. And his dad was like, hey, you know, that's fine. He was in his 20s. And he was like, why don't you go for it? Because if you mess up, you're only, what, like, 24, 25? And if you mess up, then, you know, later you can uh, try something else if it doesn't go well after, like, two years when you're, like, 27. Yeah, which is honestly, that's really good advice. <laughs> yeah. And, like, he had uh, previously worked at um, at uh, EA working on Command & Conquer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there were uh, a few other people who who um, were also working on it, like uh, Greg Kasavin, who previously worked at GameSpot and then worked at uh, EA, um, and then um, like a bunch of, like other people. Uh, I guess I don't know who Kevin Simon is, and I feel shitty because there's only seven people working on this game. <laughs> um, so you feel shitty if you don't know all. Yeah, seven. yeah, yeah. But you know, um, I I can't name a game where. I know everyone involved with it. Yeah. Uh, they had like one artist. Mm -hmm. um, Gen, uh, Gen Z. Gen Z, which is a great name. Yeah. I, I only remember it because Gen Z is like a thing that people say to refer to. Yeah. Zoomers now. Um, and then, uh, uh, what's his face? Oh, Jesus. He's the voice of, um, uh, of uh, the guy who does the audio in this, the guy who does the audio for all of their games, mm. is the voice of... Uh, Zagreus, the main character in Hades. I've never played Hades. Oh, you've probably heard his voice. Like he's like, yeah, it's I, me, and I'm I'm Zag. That yeah, I've thanks, mate. I've heard like, his voice. You, you helped me out that back there. I didn't know he was uh, Hades. Darren Corb, Zagreus, yeah. Darren Corb, and yeah. he did the music. He did the music. Uh, he does the music on like all their games, uh, and then uh, Logan Cunningham did like uh, the one. Well, there's there's two voices. He, in the he game. did the primary. He did the primary voice, um, and then. <laughs> Uh, I think Andrew 
Wang was the main uh, programmer. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, yeah, that's like all of them. I probably missed somebody there. Yeah, well, you know, that's... uh, I'm I'm sure they're not going to get upset Um, about it. But yeah, yeah, if you want to look up the credits to this game, it's seven people. (laughs) There's a a, uh, very good documentary by Noclip that's out there. And then there's also... Um, like different articles, like I, I read a Game Informer article about them. I don't know if it's still around, but Giant Bomb back in the day did uh, a documentary while it was being developed called Building the Bastion. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Giant Bomb has changed hands a lot of times, so I don't know where that's located. So, sure, but it's out there somewhere. Yeah. And when did you, did you play this game when it first came out? Yeah, so uh, Bastion also came out at like the kind of like the height of the... Uh, um, Xbox 360's Summer of Arcade. Um, like, back in the day, there just wasn't a lot of, like, indie games coming out on consoles. So, yeah. like, like you would get stuff like Castle Crashers and Braid and, like, Super Meat Boy, Explosion Man that would come out on Summer of Arcade. And um, it would be a way of them, of, like, uh, Microsoft, like, promoting these smaller games. Because um, it was also, like, really hard to, like, get traction on there. They had, like, indie games, but they didn't have like, a section of, like, indie games that was, like, you can get it for a dollar, but, like, you couldn't get, like, on 360. Yeah. Back in the day, it was very difficult to, like, get licensed onto these consoles. The, the indie scene, or the, the indie game scene has changed dramatically since. Yeah. that. Like, even back then, it was just hard to, like, like, indie games weren't as mainstream as they are today. Like, today, mm-hmm. I think most of the games that are, like, trendsetters and huge breakout successes are indie games, as opposed to... Uh, like AAA yeah. studio games back then, it wasn't really like yeah. That. Now you see like Among Us doing numbers and like Five Nights at Freddy's right. series, like Dig Gangbusters, and back then it was just like nothing really hit like like that way. Yeah. So, so uh, Bastion came out as a Xbox uh, Live Xbox 360 summer arcade game, um, and. That was 2010, you said? 2011. 2011? Wow. And I know in the documentary they were talking about, like, you know, we got published by, like, WB. um, And that was really great because we were able to, like, actually get on uh, there. And, like, because we had no idea how to, like, actually get published. Right. Uh, And then, like, it was, like, a really, like, slow burn. Which I had, when I was watching that documentary, I was like, oh, my gosh. I didn't know it was, like, a slow burn to eventually get to the point where they're, like, we have a hit. Like, to get to financial success. Yeah, yeah. They were like, we sold like fine at the beginning. And then like over time, it just snowballed. And mm-hmm. like by the end of the year, we were winning awards and stuff. And they were like, holy shit, I think we like might have made it. Yeah. And that's that's was really uh, interesting too. the fact that the game, it uh, like stuck around. It, it wasn't mm-hmm. like it came and went. It came and had like a consistent uh, line of, of success for like half the year or a year or whatever yeah. instead of like exploding and then everybody forgets about it. Yeah. And I think like it's made success like over time, like you, as you know, we said before, Ryan played on PS4. I played it on PS5 uh, and you can get it like on switch. Now you can get it on your phone and get it on Xbox it's on steam. Like mm-hmm. it's everywhere. Yeah. Know? And so it, yeah, it must be a pretty popular game. Yeah. It's it's very simple too. Like you you've you talked about on like the earlier episodes of like the Donkey Kong Country episode of being like or the Metroid episode of being like I love games that are just like jump and shoot. Yeah. You know, or like just really simple platforming. Mm-hmm. Um and this is like my like I really like this game because it just feels so simple. 
Yeah, and it's satisfying too. Um, yeah. the, the combat is straightforward. Like you said, it's an isometric um, action game. And uh, all you do is um, you have a weapon, uh, a primary weapon, a secondary weapon, uh, a blocking ability, and then essentially like a super move. And mm -hmm. uh, you can swap between different primary weapons, different secondary weapons, um, and different super moves. And basically, you're just walking around uh, timing your button presses with attacks and dodging uh, enemies. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's very straightforward. Um, I think anyone watching it would immediately understand how to play it. Yeah. Um, and I, I it's uh, gameplay is easy to learn but difficult to master in the best way. Where I'd feel comfortable recommending this to anyone from a novice to like a yeah. seasoned uh, game player. Going back and playing it, it does feel like it is a little bit like it's more simple than I remember. Like this being their first game, I like I've played a lot of Hades, like well over a hundred hours. Mm -hmm. Um, and Hades is like very fine-tuned combat where they're like, you know, different combos, and then you know, you're getting modifiers to your abilities, so you're like getting different like damage multipliers and like effects on your abilities and whatnot. And this is like, you know, the first weapon you get as a hammer. Mm -hmm. And like there's pretty much just like one attack that you do you can you can then like get like a kind of extra like kind of momentum -y hit like the regular hit is just i'm gonna smack you and then if you dodge roll and then press attack out of it you do like an uppercut kind mm -hmm. of um and that's it like that's the only two moves and i think there's you can upgrade your weapons over time and i think there's on the hammer there's a upgrade to get like an extra move but other than that, like pretty much all the weapons are just like you just do the one hit. Yeah, um, it, it, it's not uncommon for no matter what weapon you have to be attack, dodge, roll away, attack again, dodge, roll away. Yeah, because um, enemies come in um, waves and swarms too. Uh, you could be fighting a single enemy, or you could be fighting a room full of enemies. Um, so dodge, roll, attack, dodge, roll, attack, or attack, attack, dodge, roll, whatever, uh, really becomes like the most the, the most solid strategy yeah. throughout the game. Were you, like, because I know in Hades, like, I started out being like, I'm going to walk around. And then, like, eventually, Hades has a dash. Eventually, I was like, I am not walking. I am <laughs> just dashing. And then, similarly in this, it's it's like, I am, I am not walking. I am rolling. Yeah, absolutely. Like, at first, I was walking because, you know, you're getting used to the controls. But, yeah, by the end of it, I was rolling wherever I went. It's like Ocarina of Time, mm -hmm. uh, except in Bastion, rolling is quicker than, than just your standard movement. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. I was rolling everywhere. Um, and I think uh, I, I enjoyed like how, uh, how straightforward the gameplay was in that regard. Like I really felt I've never played Hades or Bastion or any game kind of like them, like a paltry amount throughout my life. But after playing Bastion, I feel like, oh, this is what this combat feels like. This is what this kind of gameplay feels like. Uh, I feel like Bastion was a good dry run for Hades, where now I feel yeah. like I could play Hades and have a pretty good grasp yeah. on it. This feels like, uh, like I wrote in my notes, like this feels like just like the ultimate, like, you know, precursor to, to Hades, even down to what I noticed uh, the, like, early on in the game, you like fall out of a window. Mm hmm. And that is, like, the first thing you do whenever you, like, hit the A button on the start screen of Hades to go in and you, like, 
fall out of, out of a window is like like immediately the first thing you do in, in Hades. I was like, oh wow, I don't know if that's a reference hmm. or, or just or like what. good design or whatever. Like, yeah, oh, I mean, it's like literally like you know the isolated cam uh, isometric camera is like even facing the same way hmm. and it even kind of looks like the same kind of like area that you're dropping down on top of and hades also has narration this game has narration um it has kind of like halo skulls as you go throughout the game you have this area called the bastion that you're like collecting like crystals to get like built up yeah, and the bastion the titular bastions mm -hmm. like your home base yeah and uh like there's things like you can get like you know here's an upgrade house where you can upgrade your weapons there's an area where you can switch out your skills here's like where you can get like different drinks to drink to mm -hmm. give you buffs and then like there's one that's like shrines and the shrines are basically skulls from halo where it's mm -hmm. like uh all right if you put on this god Piff, he'll make enemies like you know a little bit faster but you get more of the currency in the game yeah uh you know and when you beat those enemies yeah, yeah and uh, you know there's other ones like oh like when you get or like enemies take longer to get hit or to the enemies take longer to kill or uh you know and when you kill them they blow up and they damage you you know um and uh those get really difficult like if you're just like putting them on and you don't have all your weapons built up and you know uh you don't have all the drinks like your full like kitted out drinks like it can be like oh shit like i'm really getting my ass kicked yeah. well, um can i ask uh counting the playthrough you did for this uh recording session how many times did you play through bastion i don't know maybe like four times okay and it's been years i i did not remember a lot i mean I did remember because I played this in college, so probably around like 2015, 2016, mm. 2017. Um, but it had been a while, and I was like, "Oh, I didn't remember this." But you know, I this was one of those games that I played a lot as a kid, so I uh, I did remember quite a bit. Did you ever play it with like a but all the sh the shrines? Yeah, on? I've platinum this game. I got all the, the Xbox 360 achievements, and then the platinum in this game requires you to beat at least one of the uh like kind of wave-based survival like areas with every single shrine on so it was that's kind of difficult yeah. but it, it's it's not impossible sure i mean it's the game is well designed enough with difficulty um where you if, if you want to have a more relaxed playthrough where mm -hmm. you're just kind of playing through what the game has to offer you can definitely do that but if you want to challenge yourself it gives you the full reign to do that too yeah and i really like that like in the like the the shrines are also in hades i think they're also in like transistor i'm pretty sure they're in pyre which are their other games um uh like all the like upgrade materials and whatnot that's like just standard rpg fare but it really feels like the like art and uh because this game is like very like painterly like art and music uh and like gameplay wise like they're always like very action heavy and then like having like modifiers that go on like halo's known for its skulls these guys are kind of known for really good action gameplay and then having cool modifiers on mm -hmm. the gameplay when you have um gameplay that is so i don't want to say the gameplay simple it uh, is that's fair yeah I, I don't mean that in a negative way though i mean that in a good way where it's like when you have 
it, it's just very easy to understand what's going on. And when you have a game that's designed for just like satisfying simple combat, um, there is a lot of room for the designers to enhance that and add to it. Like it, I think it was a smart choice for their first game to say, let's get something that works well and then find ways to add challenge to it instead of trying to do a game that does a million different gameplay uh, yeah. mechanics. And it's funny in that documentary they were talking about like most of the stuff gameplay wise was all here from like the very beginning. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like we didn't, we weren't like constantly going back and like reiterating and they built it in like a little under two years. Yeah. So no, when in that documentary, when they showed like what the pre alpha builds or like the super early builds, it looks like the same exact game just mm -hmm. with none of the finalized graphics or visuals yeah. or style, uh, which is really interesting. Um, and I, I think the simple gameplay definitely makes this game uh, very enjoyable. Like I had a really good time playing it, uh, but the flavor, like the style that comes through, through the audio and the graphics uh, and the kind of like quirks of it definitely take it to kind of the, the next level of memorable where yeah. I think it's, it's, it's offering a little more than um, uh, games of its time or uh, a little more than I was expecting. Honestly, yeah. what are, what is the, what is the crux of the, the story, Ryan? Uh, I'll try to be as concise as possible. You play as uh, the kid who is just called the kid. Um, you wake up and uh, everything is crumbling around you. Uh, the kid goes to place through a level, picks up some weapons, and goes to a bastion. He goes to the bastion, and then from there, uh, the bastion, your home base, you go and do other levels. Uh, the way it's presented in the story is uh, when the kid wakes up and he starts playing in the level, immediately there's a narrator who's talking through uh, what is going on. And it's really compelling because, like, you start playing the game and you start walking and... Uh, the level is like flying up from the bottom uh, under your feet. So as you walk, the level is forming. And the narrator says, you know, like, uh, it, it's like this gruff old Western voice. Yeah. And uh, I, he's like, uh, you know, kid gets out of bed. Kid starts walking. Ground starts forming beneath his feet. He doesn't even blink an eye. He just keeps on walking. And it's really clever the way that they're like, yeah, just go with the game. And the way the narrator kind of guides the player a little bit. And then it's as you get to the bastion, your home base, uh, the it's revealed that the narrator is uh, a character that's waiting in the bastion for you. So throughout the game, and I'll just touch on like the, the overarching story. Basically, there was a cataclysmic event called the Calamity that kind of tore the world apart. And as you play as a kid and you're trying to sort of piece it back together and that's the very very general crux of without yeah. getting into the the details of everything just yet yeah um and i have to say when i started playing this game so you get out of bed and this old western like typed voice narrator is talking to you and he's so gruff and i was like this is exactly the kind of thing jordan likes like i, <laughs> I immediately thought of you i was like i can hear you in my head imitating this guy's voice and being like the kid just fights and he doesn't ask why and that kind of stuff well like normally i don't like that kind of stuff. like i don't like like i'm not like a big western guy but i do like when games acknowledge your presence uh and especially through gameplay mm. like that's why i you know i like stuff like near or you know even metal gear solid will do stuff like that and undertale does that and on the and the like this game like immediately will be like you know you you're sitting there he's like kids got uh, 
the whole world's cra crashing down around him. And then, like, if you, like, sit there while he's, uh, your kid's, like, asleep on the bedroll, it'll be like, he just kept his eyes shut to the world. <laughs> and then and you can just keep sitting there while he, like, narrates, like, every few seconds. And, like, as soon as you press the control stick, it'll be like, he gets up. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Like, the, the thing about the narrator is it, it strikes a really interesting tone of compelling, like, leading the story, but also the commentary on the gameplay and the environment of the things that you're interacting with can be really funny. Mm -hmm. Like there are parts or like really dramatic, like they use it for basically uh, emotion conveyance. Like if you're playing a level and you fall off the world, the narrator will say something like, uh, you know, it's no time to fall or the kid fell, but he got it right back up or yeah. something like that. Like, it'll be like, uh, it'll be like, you know, this is, you know, where we make, uh, like do our mining and it'll be like, and it'll be like there's kind of, you know, there's a rail going, you know, on this, mm -hmm. uh, and, the screen's moving as if you're on a rail uh, and it'll be like, you know, some, some folks couldn't handle working life on the rails. So they took the easy way out. Yeah. Like, and you'll be like, Oh shit. Yeah. You know, and, it's, and that, all that just cause you fell off a ledge. Yeah. Know? And that's like a really good way of telling the story. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very, it's unique. There are emotional parts with it too, where uh, when you're playing as the kid, because there was this cataclysmic event that sort of like, you know, uh, killed everyone and destroyed this major city and the civilization uh you come across like uh pompeii-esque people mm -hmm. where they're like frozen in place and made of ashes sometimes you need to like uh walk around them or walk through them and as you're doing it the narrator will like sometimes name them where he'll be like ah oh, looks like uh the the johnson brothers didn't make it uh looks like uh you know the the old butcher didn't make it that kind of stuff so and then there's a part that uh, is sad where there these Pompeii ashen corpses are just standing in a circle around the, an item that you need. And so you have to attack to like break the, the people up and get in there and get the item. And the narrator says, uh, you know, the kid does what he has to do and he gets the, you get the item and go on. So it's not just like funny stuff. It's, it's a very versatile, uh, framing device that's that's utilized very well throughout the whole game yeah and like i i feel like that way too because that uses the narration in like a lot of really unique well like written ways mm -hmm. um it's it, it you could see how this could get annoying like you know i know a lot of folks thought that uh what was the name of the game the game with the rick and morty guy which uh, you know, we're bringing up the Rick and Morty guy, but you think uh, uh, high on life, high on life. Yeah, people, uh, 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 people thought that the high on life game was like annoying. Like, there's even like a slider in that game to be like, shut the guns up, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I can see how this game could get annoying in that way. Sure, I mean, I think it's it's certainly present throughout the game, but I wouldn't say it's overbearing. I think they use it intelligently enough. That's what I mean. Like, I I would agree. But oh, I, okay. I could see that people could say that about sure. this game. If 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 this didn't work in in the way that it does, like it could get extremely annoying. And it's like it's really endearing to hear this guy narrating because he's it's just like a very pleasant like kind of like the the uh, what's the name of the guy from uh, the Big Lebowski? Oh, uh, Jeff Bridges. Uh, no, the, the dude. The, 
No, there's uh, oh Sam, Sam Elliott. Elliott's character. It's like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that tone of voice. I actually, I thought it sounded like Ron Perlman at first. Mm, like for the first fifteen minutes, like I was convinced it was going to be Ron Perlman. No, um, but no, yeah, it's just like a smooth, like relaxed voice. Uh, it makes everything you're doing seem a little more cool. And in the wrong hands, it definitely could have yeah. uh, been utilized very wrong. I've played games and uh, seen movies and TV shows that use this kind of element uh to a much less effective degree um yeah this but bastion knows when to use it and uses it with a little bit of restraint which goes a long way Mm -hmm. and i think like it also helps that like you get a pretty decent story with it i mean spoilers for a decade old game (laughs) the uh the story of the game like you meet uh different characters that come back to the bastion there's like a guy from like another tribe called Zolf, and he, like, comes along with you. Bastion, uh, you meet, like, a woman named Zia, uh, and she plays music, and, uh, which, what did you think of that level? That was great. Um, yeah, that was, like... Set the scene. Uh-huh, there's, there's probably, like, two or three moments in the game where it's, like, this is this game. This is mm-hmm. something that no other game would have done for me, and yeah. that was one of those moments where, yeah. like, uh, yeah, just describe what happens when you when so you're doing that. Usually, you, when you get into a level, and uh, again with comedy, uh, the game will have the the kid go on these like platforms, and he'll just shoot up into the air, yeah. uh, and he disappears, and the loading screen happens, and then he uh, the loading screen ends, and he falls on the ground on his face at the start of every level. every level. He falls yeah. on his face. It's very funny. It's compelling, yeah. and it makes you root for the kid too because yeah. he's he's like clumsy and he takes a hit. And they, uh, yeah, the beginning of this level, you get in, and he's like, you know, like the, I think the narrator is like, well, you know what happened here, and you're like, oh, what? You're like, wait, who's who's he talking to? I don't know what he, what's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're like, uh, he's like, how did that song go again? Uh, and then you know. Uh, you start hearing this woman singing. You know, at this point, you've only ever heard uh, the stranger uh, Logan Cunningham. So you're like, wait, what? Why? Why am I hearing a woman sing? And it's this very like sad, just like uh, uh, like southern song. Yeah, uh, kind of like meditative, mm-hmm. um, somber. Yeah, uh, and it's a great moment because you're like oh, wow, I didn't expect this to happen. And you can just, like, sit there and, like, listen to it. Because it plays forever. And then uh, eventually you get to the end uh, and, you know, you're like, we gotta go. Like, the, the, the narrator comes in. like, And he's talking over, like, while this song's still playing with lyrics. All the other... Like, there, uh, there are, like, three songs with lyrics in the whole game. Um, and otherwise, like, the soundtrack is all instrumental. Sure. So it's, it's cool. Well, and before that, that's, like, what, like, the fourth or fifth level yeah something Um, like that every level before that had like just kind of action music kind Mm -hmm. of like really good like funky pump up uh, combat music so it was definitely like striking to come into this level and just have this slow song playing throughout it's kind of like um it's like southern twang like i don't know i've i've never it's i've never seen like a john wick movie but do they have like more like actiony, like hype up, like music. Um, or... yeah, I, I would say yeah, that's more like like clubby kind of music. Okay. Um, I would describe this song in Bastion 
as almost like like bluesy like folk i i could see like johnny cash doing a slow cover of this song um, i just mean in general like the how is the soundtrack like when there's no lyrics in john like, wick no in bastion oh in bastion sorry yeah yeah uh the soundtrack when there's no lyrics i would say like country twang kind of like uh it's like upbeat and faster though. Yeah, it almost sounded like uh It's not like modern country, it's more like older like 60s or like 50s. Yeah, it's it's like the music that would play during an action scene that that's taking place in like a Middle Eastern market in a movie, in a there, Hollywood movie. I know that uh in the documentary Gen Z had said like she had done the art uh very like much inspired by like uh was it moroccan uh, i think moroccan and like some south american like kind of style and it looks like that like everybody mm -hmm. has like long flowing like dresses yeah the art around like the the structures all look like they have like sort of african vibe but then they just the color feels like both like african and south american sure it's kind of like a mix of the two it's sort of cool yeah it looks a little bit like an aztec temple at times mm -hmm. but then other times it, it looks a little bit uh like there's grass growing growing over things um because they're trying to convey a just like ruins essentially yeah like a, a city in ruins or like this used to be a city um and now it's crumbled uh and i i, I love um this game does a really good trick uh visual trick of the environments and the primary things that you interact with are warm colors mm -hmm. and uh the enemies are all cooler colors like yeah. a lot of the ghosts are like a aqua green um not ghosts but like uh, i forget what they're called the they're enemies. wind bags and gas fellas right and, scumbags yeah. Mm -hmm. uh yeah a lot of them are cooler colors and a lot of the stuff that you interact with um or just like the environment in the backgrounds are more are warmer colors yeah uh so that works really well yeah um what did you think about the uh like the character designs in this game uh some of them i really like uh like i like the way that the kid looks he's got uh white hair uh in the and the stranger has white hair he looks cool uh i like zia uh i like uh i do like um zolf when he's in cutscenes. <laughs> there's really he looks very weird because he'll look he's like looking up at the sky when you first meet him and he just looks like a sad like cupid doll figure mm. and it's like this looks odd and they kind of look like more like russian dolls when they're out in the world sure that can be like really cute like i could like i could see having like a stranger like the kid like in their little like uh world um chibi selves mm -hmm. like on my desk yeah but <laughs> zolf in that one instance is like this looks weird. Yeah, he looks like a zombie from like Scribble Knots or something. Yeah, in that, in that one instance, it's like, huh? All right. Yeah, it's it is interesting in the the. I mean, the art is good throughout. Uh, that's not yeah. a complaint. There, the characters have like bigger heads, like kind of chibi as mm -hmm. heads. Um, so it's an interesting mix of like realistic paintbrush, uh, kind of like texture to the visuals, but then the characters are designed with like kind of a cutesier yeah. aesthetic. Um, so it's 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 unique, but it it works pretty well, and yeah. it especially works for the kid because uh, kids just have like big heads and weird proportions, or at least that's how you yeah, think of them. And he's he's cool. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's undeniably cool. He's like a Link type character. Yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, uh, I was gonna talk about the story 
since I was there and then got distracted. Uh, the You meet a couple characters, they join you at the Bastion, eventually you, after you've gathered up all these crystals called cores, you're going to use the cores to repair the world. If you put them in the Bastion, they help build you your Bastion, but then they're also like, once we power up the Bastion using these cores, it will help the world heal. Yeah, They're very vague about what, what that will mean, but it will do it. So um, eventually, you know, you find this journal along with Zia, and it's written in uh, an Ura language, which is uh, Zia and uh, Zolp's people. Uh, so, like, the stranger doesn't know how to read it, I don't think. I think he implies that he can, but I, I, I don't know that he's like, I didn't read it, and maybe I should have. The the whole the, the stranger's whole thing is ambiguity. You're not yeah. really supposed to know anything about yeah. him. Um, but uh, but they're the only like three people at the bastion. So you know, eventually, like uh, Zolf reads it and he gets pissed and he's like, I can't believe it. The bastion is whatever, and he like he I, I don't know what he does. What what does he say? I don't remember what he said. He basically is like. I, you know, this is a lie, and, like, I have to, like, I'm leaving, like, bye. I think he says, I'm gonna, uh, Zolf reads the journal, and I think he says, I'm gonna finish what the Calamity didn't. Yeah. Um, and then you learn that the Calamity was, like, it wasn't a force of nature, it was an event that was triggered by people. Yeah. So it's, eventually you're like, well, we gotta heal the Bastion, we're gonna go get more MacGuffins. <laughs> you get more smaller crystals. Mm -hmm. uh, and then eventually, like, you know, you learn... That, as you said, like the calamity was started by humans, uh, basically as a way to get rid of the Ura. Like yeah. you have the, uh, you have the people that like the kid and the stranger make up, and then you have Zia and Zolf. So that yeah, the there's there's a city, and that's comprised of uh, the kid and the stranger. And the stranger's name, I think, at this point we learned that it's Rux. Yes. Yeah, R U C K S, Rux. And they're, the city they're from is called Caledonia? Ceylandia. Ceylandia, thank you. And then Zolf and Zia are from are, uh, Ura people who live outside the city. Yeah, they live in the Tazzle Terminals. Mm -hmm. And the city people and the Ura people had been fighting, but the fighting had ceased. Uh, and there was like a bit of a truce. And uh, Ura people were uh, uh, integrated into the city where uh, Zia is a of Ura heritage. Her I, dad was an Ura. I don't know if they were integrated because they do go into. Did you ever do the um the like the wave based stuff? Yeah, like the, with the uh, pod. Who knows where? Open. Yeah, mm -hmm. I don't think they were ever integrated. I think they're like like it's very much separate. Like, hey, these people live in Ceylandia. These people live in the. I, I think they said no i'm pretty sure they did because uh zia i believe they said couldn't speak or read the ura language her parents died i think no her dad no her dad yeah her dad is alive her mom died in childbirth yes and so, so it was just her and her dad and i i do recall at one point in the game they say that any ura who wanted to any ura person who wanted to come and live in the city of ceylandia uh, had to stay there permanently like they, oh, okay. they couldn't leave because the people of Ceylandia were afraid that the Ura people in the city would leak like secrets or whatever back out to the Ura people yeah. outside of the city. So there was some semblance of like tolerance for each other. It was tolerance. I mean, they even do like a thing in like 
each one of the characters except for I think actually the stranger has one once you beat the game they're called uh, who knows where and you basically do like a bunch of let waves you get some currency for it uh, and some exp but yeah. every wave uh rucks the stranger narrates more of a story yeah and there's one for the kid there's where rucks tells you about the kid there's one where uh every wave rucks tells you about zia and there's one where every every wave rucks tells you about zolf yeah um and then like you said there's one for rucks which i, I think i read online it's dlc Okay, gotcha. So I don't know if it's included with versions of the game that come out now. It is, I think, because yeah. I, I do remember playing it. I remember back when I played on 360, I was like, I didn't know they had a Rux DLC. Yeah. Or, it's... or, or a who knows where, like what? Mm -hmm. I, so that came later. But I do remember that it was in the game. So. Yeah, okay. So yeah, that you... Oh, sorry, you go ahead and take it away. Yeah, uh, so you learn about these two cities and these two people that had a conflict with each other. The Ceylondian people were like, well, we're going to develop this thing called the, you know, we're going to develop the, the Calamity. And if we can develop the, calam the Calamity, we can, they describe it as like, oh, we're going to use it as, as like a last resort in case the Ura ever try something. Yeah, and its purpose would be to wipe out all of the Ura. People. It would, I think it would just seal off the tunnels. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, that was originally what it was supposed to do. But the person who worked on the device that would cause the calamity is Zia's father, mm. as you learn in her who's who knows where. I don't think you learn it in the main game. Uh, no, uh, yeah. Which is kind of nice. Like I like that the who knows where is like, here's this bit of extra story about these people. Yeah, if you want it, you can get that extra story, mm -hmm. but if you don't, if you just want to play the game, you can yeah. you can just play the game. But I like that too because a horde mode was really good for this kind of game. Mm -hmm. An endless enemy, like waves of enemies, because uh the gameplay is so fun, and sometimes you just want to mindlessly do it without having to navigate a level. Yeah. And it's we'll, very easy to get in the groove. We'll talk about the weapons later on, but the weapons, it it's, <laughs> provides a really nice way to like just go in and test out the weapons yeah. on live uh, live creatures. And um, at any point in time during the waves, you can just hit pause and be like, go back to the Bastion. Yeah, you know? and you don't lose anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, that's where you get the story beats from. Yeah. You uh, learn that Zia's father is the one who worked on the device that caused the calamity and he uh that ruck says like he hated being used but like uh, when you go into like zia's who knows where it's pretty much implied that he, because he was era he was basically like no fuck you like you're gonna kill my people yeah you and know so he uh they established that zia's dad who worked on that device in the city built it to do the opposite of what they wanted. Yeah, or it he sabotaged it. Yeah. yeah, he sabotaged it. And I think Rux says they gave the order for him to pull the trigger. Yeah, he he never wanted to use it. It's implied that he never wanted to use it. Yeah. And then at some point they said, hey, use it. And he was like, oh, shit. Um, and then in Zia's wave-based thing, in Zia's story, she uh, it's revealed that like he warned her and that's how she survived yeah well they also go into how her dad was basically like manipulated or blackmailed into mm -hmm. building this device for the um kelandian Salandian. thank you Salandian. i'm gonna keep getting c-a-e-l Salandian people um so yeah he was never he didn't want to build it they forced mm -hmm. him to basically um and he tried he uh told his daughter like get my journal and just like go home and close the door or whatever yeah like and, hide in the basement and mm -hmm. uh and 
keep yourself safe, like, I'm sorry, and then push the button, everybody died. Yep. And then um, you learn over time, like, that Zolf finds, like, more Ura survivors. You never find another, like, Ceylondian survivor besides uh, Rux, mm-hmm. but you find a bunch of Ura survivors. They become regular enemies. Yes. Um, and actually, uh, it's what's interesting about the these story beats that you learn through doing the, the horde mode um, is it tracks Zia and Zolf. It tracks Zia and Zolf and the kids' lives, like, up until the Calamity. Yeah. So it's like you literally learn what they're doing the moment the Calamity happens. Yeah. Um, and you find more, or Zolf finds more survivors from the Earth. Uh, they call them a tribe when they're wearing, like, tribal garb, and it's very much like, oh, these people were super racist against the tribal people. <laughs> then you, like, find, uh, or then Zolf, like, like unleashes, like, tells his people, like, this is what happened. And then they come and, like, attack the Bastion. He, like, warns you yeah, at you're, first. Yeah, you're playing a level, so you're not on the Bastion. And then mm-hmm. at the end of the level, you run into Zolf, and Zolf is like, hey, I just wanted to warn you, like, we're going to come by and fuck everything up. Uh, you should probably not go back to the Bastion. Yeah. But then you go back to the Bastion, yeah. and the narrator's like, kid just went on his way, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they're like, they locked up the front door, so we had to go around the back. Yeah. Which is really cool, because, like, they have, like, you land on that area, and you've always went, and went, you've always landed the entrance of the Bastion, so you land, like, further away, like, back when you did the first level. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, as you go forward, you, like, that's the like first time you meet an Ura. Uh so you're like, oh shit, it's another human. Uh besides Zolf and Zia and Rux. And then you end up fighting them. Uh and then you have to like keep going and like fighting more Ura. And then when you get to the entrance, you're like, oh, oh shit, like I can't get in. And then you have to he's like, kid went around the back. And yeah. there's just like uh, you know, everything looks like um like very kind of like um modern, like brick built stuff like uh, to the entrance to the bastion and then the back end is like it becomes greener and it's kind of nice because uh it's like this oh like you know good job or like here's like the good way because it's mm-hmm. very very warm as opposed to these very dark areas where the entrance was here's like the safety area that you have to go to around sure. back. yeah that's a good point i didn't think of it like that um and then uh eventually like you get back which uh, you have you have the ability to get like pets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can like there are different enemies like a bird enemy and like a like a an ox like a statue of an ox that's like fights uh, and like a little like squirt, um, which are like these little like kind of blobby guys, kind of like floating slugs yeah. kind of thing. Um, and there's like a there's a uh, what is it a, a, an ankle gator an ankle gator, which are these things that just have like their fin pointing out of the ground mm-hmm. and then they come up and then you'll see them yeah they're uh, like ground sharks kind of yeah and they uh they all like if you have all of them which you don't have to uh they all like fight for you and it's yeah. like oh that's adorable yeah it's nice um <laughs> and they can die they could totally die yeah it's actually really impressive the way that this game you, there's basically for the whole game there's only one voice that you're hearing it's rux mm-hmm. the narrator but they're able to characterize so much just mm-hmm. with the tools that they have with the one narrator with presenting things in gameplay and visuals. Like there's a lot of uh, story without that complex of a plot. Yeah. And I think that even like, if one of them dies, they'll go uh, like Rux will be like, 
uh, we all lost something today. We all fought hard and we lost. And like some of us didn't make it. And it's like, oh no, <laughs> my pet. No, my little yeah. ankle gator buddy. Especially because you pick them up um, when you're on in levels. Like it's mm -hmm. not like they're just there suddenly. They're like items and things that you come across yeah, in the I, world. I like the ankle gator because it's uh, um, you fight this uh, this larger ankle gator called Queen Anne. Mm -hmm. uh, and then like at one point you grab an egg in the world and then um the uh you go back and you like talk to rux and he'll be like you know uh the here's the, i don't know what he says but he like he'll he puts like the egg down and then like it hatches into an ankle gator and you're like oh cute uh mm. little ankle gator buddy. one and then uh you can like click on it and it'll follow you around the bastion it's like oh it's yeah. adorable it's cute it's little fin like goes around on the ground with you it's, mm -hmm. it's totally cosmetic but it's really really cute yeah and you even do a little whistle when you click on it mm -hmm. yeah so it's it's extremely adorable at that part and sad mm -hmm. when you're when you're uh when your friends die nobody right. died for me this playthrough i have had them die in the past i didn't have anybody die either so yeah. uh so that's nice but yeah the the ura come in led by zolf they fuck up the bastion and then they leave i don't think they were led by zolf like he, he's Tip, not with tipped them. off by zolf tipped i off. suppose yeah um and then you have to collect little tiny shards to repair the bastion and then go confront the aura because because uh they also uh you're told you know you believe that they took zia when they uh destroyed the bastion yeah because um, zolf came and he was like hey here's what the journal said read it uh and then go to this place and we can like tell you about your people mm -hmm. uh and like it's revealed later on that like Zia's like, I didn't go to, to go and, like, uh, meet my people and be mad with them. I, like, went to, like, go convince them that we were trying to help. Yeah, well, she went voluntarily, too. Yeah. She was not taken against her will. Yeah. Rux, I guess, thought he, she was kidnapped. But. Right. Uh, so, yeah, once that's basically after the Bastion attack. Um, it's not that the levels are filler, but there's no more story until the last level. Yeah. Essentially. You go uh, and then... No more, no more plot points. Yeah, you go to like the last area, and uh, the way that it's told is pretty cool. You have like different uh, days mm -hmm. that are going by. It'll say like day three, afternoon, day yeah. four, night, and you're you're running into enemies. So the implication that I took was uh, the kid is on this journey. And just every couple of days, he's getting a little bit closer to the the Aura uh, home base, the, the mm -hmm. Aura headquarters, because he keeps running into more and more the closer yeah. he gets. And that's, uh, I think Rux will even like talk about that, because he talks about, like, you get, like, the, the cannon early in the previous level, and then, you know, they talks about, like, you know, oh, they had, like, all their own security that they had made around, and then when you get further into the final level, it's like, their security is not as like well done like by their home base and he even talks about that like mm -hmm. in the previous level where he's like their defenses were failing and they knew it and yeah. like uh and that was kind of cool it was just like just enemies and there were some areas where it was like oh like this is kind of hard to get through uh there's like you know you have to blow up like pillars to like get further in um and then when you get to the final area like the final areas you get a sweet battering ram yeah yeah that's like what do you think of the battering ram obviously well, i like it but. yeah uh we'll talk more about like the weapons in general once we're through the story because i do have some thoughts mm -hmm. uh, but at this point 
um, you've been collecting weapons throughout the game. So when you pick up the battering ram, you're like, what is this? Is this a new weapon? And it's so much bigger than the kid, mm-hmm. uh, like than your character, that it's it looks ridiculous, kind of. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> it's it's clearly intentional. It's supposed to look like a big, overwhelming weapon because it's just very overpowered. Um, it and, kills like everything in one hit. Yeah, it's it crazy. Has, its special attack is you like slam the ground and like a bunch of like rocks like fall on everybody. Mm-hmm. And it's it's cool and it uh, it's just like. That you can barely even see the kid holding it, um, you know. So it, it feels heavy, it feels powerful, and it's like the uh, what's is there a moment in a video game that's similar to this where you get like a super holy shit weapon in the last level that just lets you fuck everybody up? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of examples that I can't think of. A, I know that's head because like, I know there's a million examples, but I can't think of one. Yeah, it's like getting oh, it's like getting the um. Uh, like the last beam in Metroid Fusion. I guess that's a spoiler. Sure. I don't know or, if you wanted to play that. I do want to play, but I won't remember. There's a there, or like the BFG in Doom. Yeah. Or it's, or it's it's like getting a unlimited a speaking of Halo. Imagine in Halo if you picked up a Spartan laser that had no startup lag and had an unlimited amount of ammo. That's like what this feels it was. Like. If it was just a laser. Yeah. If it was just a constant uh, exploding laser that yeah. killed everyone instantly. Uh, so you go around and you totally decimate the aura that are trying to fight you. You just destroy them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you get to uh, an area where you see a circle of aura and they're not attacking you. And I'm sorry if I'm going back and forth on calling them aura or aura, whatever. It's U-R-A, it's aura. Um, but you see these aura attacking someone uh, and then they see you coming and then they disappear. And uh, Rux, the narrator, says something like, you know, uh, the Ura were mad because Zolf led you right to him and you, like, basically fucked everyone up and killed a bunch of people. So they exiled Zolf. And then you walk up to Zolf with the He's like, I, battering I, I, ram. I have, I have to imagine they're not, they aren't happy with Zolf. Yeah. And then, and then, uh, you, yeah, what happens? Well, you, you're given a decision. You can... You walk up and, and Zolf is laying on the ground. Yeah, it's, it's, he's dying. It is basically. revealed that, that the people that the Ura <clears throat> were uh, were surrounding, or the person that the people were surrounding was Zolf. Yeah, they. Uh, I don't know if they, if the narrator says it, but somehow it's established that the Ura were mad because Zolf led uh, the kid right to them. So you, the kid, walk up to Zolf with the battering ram, and you're given the the option to either uh, walk away from Zolf, like leave him there, leave him for dead. Or to help him out, pick him yeah. up, and try to save his life, essentially. And it, it's, like, implied, like, the narrator's like, I don't know what the kid's gonna do, but he's gonna have to, you know, make a decision. Mm-hmm. And, he, you know, I imagine that he's gonna be pretty mad at, at Zolf himself, so he's gonna deal with him, and it's gonna not be good, so fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he says fuck. Yeah, um, this T-rated game. The first time you played this, what decision did you make? Oh, I saved Zolf. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing. Like, with these kinds of games, like, especially this era, um, there's always the decision, but I always want to do the good playthrough. Yeah. You know? It's very difficult. If we, uh, When we play Mass Effect, it'll be like, I'm probably going to do an evil playthrough because I have never done, like, a full one. Yeah. But, like, those are, like, always really difficult because you're a giant asshole. <laughs> well, we've talked about this before off camera. I don't know if we've talked about it on, on record on the podcast. But 
it's it's not that it's or maybe we talked about it when we played Bioshock 2. Um mm. you know, these decisions where it's very clear like here's the good decision and here's the bad decision as a player, I think the first time through you want the good decision because you know that that's going to get you like yeah. the real ending, so to speak. Mm-hmm. At, at least, you know, nine times out of ten, that's the case. So when these kinds of pre- decisions are presented in games, I think it's not that they're bad and it's certainly very good uh, storytelling at Bastion, but it just seems like what's the point of even presenting this when you're making it very clear, like yeah, the 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 tone of each of, of this decision. There's know? a uh other folks have talked about this uh i know like austin walker austin walker um the formerly of vice um had talked about like life is strange uh at the end of life is strange spoilers for life is strange if you ever want to play that you have a decision of do you want to it there's a calamity going on in life is strange uh the game involves time travel at the beginning of the of the first episode you traveled back in time to save your best friend, Chloe, uh, and it is revealed that uh, the reason why there's a like, disaster and tornadoes and giant apocalypse happening to this small town uh, is because you went back in time to save Chloe from getting shot. Mm. So the decision at the very end of the game is, do you want to go back in time and, and, uh, and make it so that Chloe will die, or do you want to say, fuck it, I'm going to sacrifice the town uh, and Chloe will live. Mm. Um, and the end of the game, if you make the town die, uh, is very abrupt. Mm. It's like you, you say, all right, I guess, you know, my best friend, like, and I are gonna, are gonna just wait it out and everybody's gonna be killed, but like, I can't let you go. Mm. And it's very fast. It's like maybe like two, three minutes. Okay. It's like, you're done. And, And then, the um the decision where you uh have chloe sacrifice herself is very involved there's multiple cutscenes. there's uh you know her like because she very much has the realization of like i'm going to kill myself hmm. um uh she comes to her realization and acceptance there's uh the eventual scene of like you're hiding in the bathroom while she gets shot by somebody uh and then uh, you have to like deal with that. You have to deal with you know the funeral. You have to deal with the uh, like all of it, and it's very long, and it's very well drawn out, and uh, like uh, you know Austin Walker and other folks have said like that feels like the ending that they're like this is the one you're meant to choose. Yeah, because it's very involved. It's mm-hmm. very detailed. Whereas uh, the other ending, it's just very quick, dirty. You're done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's almost like an afterthought. Yeah, I don't know if Undertale would be similar mm-hmm. to that because I know you didn't do the genocide run, mm-hmm. but that one is very, it is very fast. Of like, you know, oh, you just go through every area and like beat all the bo- uh, beat enemies, and like it's different, but it's very much like, all right, you're not getting any characters, you're not getting any of the like, you know, different story beats mm-hmm. that are throughout the game normally. It's just like, just go, 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 and then you fight Sands, and that's it. Well, Undertale is a unique case because that was definitely an intentional choice yeah to like make the player feel a certain way but that's i think that's the implication that a lot of people are implying about like life is strange and and i don't know if that's the case with bastion Hmm. but it feels like that because we uh, because 
Did you watch? I made the mistake of not watching what happens if you sacrifice self. No, I actually don't. didn't. I didn't watch uh, that either. <laughs> I'm. I remember it being very, just again, quick and dirty. Sure. Just like because you're going around and and uh, your decision is pick up Zolf uh, and carry him to safety uh, and leave the battering ram, or f- take the battering ram and like beat the rest of the Ura while right. you go and like escape. Mm-hmm. So when you make that decision, like yeah, I, I think as a player. It's definitely like, well, of course I'm going to do the nice thing. Yeah. Um, and you do get a really good dramatic moment. Yeah. Uh, but it, it yeah, I, I'm curious when that, when those kinds of decisions rear their head where it's just one or the other, like what is the, what, what is the thinking behind that from a des- game design perspective? Because you could have just as easily presented that scene to me and taken my yeah. choice away. So is it the fact that I make the choice makes it, hit harder i I would be curious to know yeah um the decision making process behind that because i know greg kasavin talks about in the documentary this decision and being like this felt very important from like a does like a storytelling perspective um so what happens if you put down the battering ram and take his off is uh as you take his body uh and you start carrying him away and you're very slow you can't run Mm -hmm. um and uh a bunch of ura who have like crossbows and they have like spears uh, and whatnot, like throughout the game. Um, they will be firing their crossbows at you um, as they are, uh, as you're walking. Um, and you have like health items, but like your entire HUD like disappears. Yeah. So you can't see your HUD. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know that you can die. I don't think you can. I'm assuming you can. When I started playing, I'm walking with Zulf mm-hmm. and I'm uh, getting attacked. And <clears throat> even though your HUD is gone, you, there are in other indicators on the screen that show that your health is going down and you're going to die. So I knew that uh, Triangle would heal me. Yeah. So I would heal myself um, and I would keep going. Yeah. Um, but I, I can see, like, because I thought, oh, this is probably the end of the game. I'm just, I thought it was like a Red Dead situation yeah. where it's like, just see what you can do in these final seconds. Mm. So I was like, let me just prolong this as much as possible. So you thought you were going to die. I literally thought I was going to die with oh, Solve. That's cool. Yeah, because I, I, I mean, I, I think the fact that I could drink health and then see my health deteriorate, I was like, okay, so this is like a normal gameplay part. I'm just gonna. Die. Yeah, and I, I don't know if you can die. I, well, I, then, sorry to my, uh, what I was getting to is like, yeah, you get to this little scene that plays out, and it then it uh, becomes apparent, like, oh, okay, this is scripted. Yeah, I, I don't think my guess it would be that you can't die at that. Yeah, point. yeah, because as you're walking, they're firing their crossbows at you. Um, they're like as you're going along. Of course, the level builds itself as you go, mm-hmm. um, and there are like rocks falling down in front of the Ura to like block their shots. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them are hitting you, so you're getting hurt. Uh, and then eventually, like as you're walking. You're still walking, you like, you know, you get to a part then where you see like a shitload of aura, and it's a lot. You're like, yeah. this is the most that you've seen in the entire game. Most enemies you've seen. Yeah. Um, and uh and suddenly they just like like they stop firing. And you're like, oh, and like you might not notice it at first, but you're like, oh wait, I'm not getting hurt anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh and then as you're going along, like you just see more of a crowd and they're just like turning to you and facing you as you carry Zolf away. Yeah, they're just watching um, you. There's one guy who starts firing at you again and then like uh the like an era behind him like slaps him 
Yeah. And then he, he like falls over like dead. It's the animation for being dead, but I don't yeah, know if he's I, dead or I not. I don't think they would have killed him I over that. I don't think he's, but... he's dead, but it, like in the uh, in the documentary, like Greg Kasavin says, like this was very important to me, and I know a lot of people have brought it up of like seeing that soldier like attack, mm -hmm. and then like his commanding officer be like, "No, yeah, stand." It's like people have been like, "Oh shit!" Like that hit me like hard. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something i wasn't expecting like it's it's something that is so like human in a weird way to see someone do something and then be told to like stop shut up essentially or whatever mm -hmm. and like i at first i thought that was like a glitch where um when i'm walking with Zolt, <laughs> it's definitely not no yeah i was like oh that guy attacked me when he shouldn't have oh wait that other guy like hit him okay oh so and then you keep walking and you're kind of like okay so they are like taking in what i'm doing there's yeah. like a mutual like uh uh i don't want to say respect but there's just it like feels no like a mutual sort of respect because you yeah. know as implied in the in the story it's like you know the Ceylon people are very racist towards the era and then mm -hmm. there's just this moment of just like hey i know that you sold me out and like even like rux during his narration like for this whole part is like narrating at me like i'm pretty sure that the kid's gonna be pissed and he's probably going to beat the shit out of Zolf. Yeah. So uh, I don't know what to expect. And I don't know what Zolf is expecting. But the kid's going to come for him. And it's not going to be pretty. Mm. Like as you're walking, like saving him. Right. You know. Right. And that that's like pretty powerful too. Being like everybody's expecting you to be uh, like and mad at him. Full and, of hate. Yeah. And you can like put your, put your battering ram down. This thing that's been protecting you. And be like, no. So it's it's a nice moment. Yeah, it's it's the moment of the game. Yeah, for sure. It's it's a very memorable ending, and the emotions are there. Like it's uh for just like walking with a that at that point it's just a walking simulator. Yeah. <laughs> but it's you know the I don't remember. Is there music? I don't remember. Yeah, but it you know it's just like this action game uh has suddenly stopped, and you just have to walk through the level with all your enemies up to this point your enemies are just watching you um so yeah it's it's definitely the kind of moment that uh makes a, a normal game rise above like the usual yeah. kind of fair um, and it's, it's it's emotional that's cool because like this this feels like a game that's very simple that you don't really expect something like that to happen in yeah and getting that nice little moment you're like oh sweet like all right like that's that is very sweet. Like, I was not expecting a game that is, like, kind of poor man's Diablo <laughs> to uh, to have an emotional moment like that. Well, the thing is, I, yeah, I wasn't expecting it to, like, even go for anything like that. Mm -hmm. And it does, and it works. It's, it's like, it's deceptively simple, just like the gameplay. Where you yeah. play it and you think, like, okay, I get this immediately. Um, but there's a lot of fun you can have. And that's this moment, too, where yeah. you think, like, oh, I know... You know, oh, I'm almost done, but then this little thing hits you. Um, I think the fact that, like, it's not very fast-paced, like, it sort of forces you to, to pause and reflect um, is, is maybe what brings about uh, that, that kind of tone. Yeah. So, yeah, it works really well. I think yeah. it's a, a very well-done ending to the game. That's very good. Mm -hmm. um, well, actually, that's not the ending. That's not the, the end of the game. Yeah. Because you go, you go back to the Bastion. And uh, throughout the area, the Tazzle Terminals, where you've gone and uh, and uh, like gotten the last core and rescued Zolf, uh, Rux has been narrating 
he's like, all right, so let me break it down for you. I've broken down what the calamity is and, and what it did and why and how. Uh, here's what the Bastion will do. He finally mm-hmm. reveals the Bastion is, he's like, the Bastion, it's basically a time machine. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, uh, it'll set things right. And, it, and he's been talking about that the entire time. He's kind of been like, you know, uh, as long as we get all these cores, we can, we can make everything work. Like mm-hmm. everything will go perfectly and like nobody will ever know that the calamity will happen. It'll work and everybody will be fine. We'll go back to the way things were, right? Um, and uh, and then he's like, but the thing is, I'm not 100% sure about it because I, I can't test a time machine yeah uh so i don't know if it's just gonna make it so that like we all don't remember it or and then the calamity could happen again yeah and we just go in an endless loop yeah or if like we're all gonna remember it and be like okay that was a crazy thing that happened we should be nicer to each other <laughs> <laughs> which is basically like the crux of it because like the the Ceylonia people activate it. Like, what are they gonna do? Like, once they once they go back in time, they're gonna be like, "Oh shit, let's not do that again." Or are they gonna be like, oh, "Let's activate the activate the bastion again." Yeah. It'll work but this. Time. It'll work this time. Yeah. yeah. Um, or they'll be like, they'll uh, come to and be like, "Oh, they'll plead ignorance." I don't know what happened. Like something. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry about that, Ura. Like the whole city got destroyed for some reason. But anyway, I guess it's all good now. Let's just continue. Yeah. Uh, you know. Um, well, actually, sorry. So finish. The option is. Uh, go back in time, or your other option is he's like, but there's another option. You can use the bastion to uh, and like burn out all the f- cores as fuel, and we can go and fly away from here, and it'll be like a giant ship, and we can just f- see where the wind takes us and explore and figure out what else to do afterwards. Yeah. And uh, it's really cool because you go back to the Bastion and you go into like the, the like you go underneath of it mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you see Rux uh, and you see Zia and they have like two little like exclamation points over their head uh, and you can do like one last like conversation tree with like both of them mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Rux like talking and then you walk over to Zia and you're like, oh, wait, well, you're talking to me? Like you no. click on an option and then you hear Zia's voice yeah. for the first time. You're which, like, what? Yeah, out of nowhere. Out yeah. of nowhere. Yeah, which I definitely, playing that, um, uh, definitely playing that, I was like, oh, whoa. Like, another moment that I thought, like, did I hear that right? Is is the game glitching? Oh, no, that's, oh, she's just talking. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Because uh, uh, when you're going to the Tales of Terminals, Rux is like, so we'll just, like, it's revealed that he has been telling your story to Zia mm-hmm. as you've been traveling to the Tazel Terminals. So once you get back, he doesn't have a story to tell because mm-hmm. he's already told the story to Zia. You're caught up. So you're in present day. Yes. And uh, the option is basically go forward or go backward. Mm-hmm. I have to say, as soon as it was revealed that the Bastion could function as a time machine, uh that's when i was like oh okay like you the kid are the young version of rux and uh rux is like i can't test the time machine 
So I'm going to send you back in time, kid, to uh, live out my life and become me and build the bastion to send you back, the next you back in time. I thought it was going to be some kind of like time clone thing where uh, the Rux is a grown-up version of the kid. Because they look the same. They have the same hair color, which Rux mm -hmm. is old, but... Uh, they do say in the kid's who knows where mm -hmm. uh they say like he's um he has white hair and that was like very rare yeah he said so. it, it like people uh like made fun of him for it growing up or whatever mm -hmm. and it was something that he got from his mom or whatever so i i totally thought like oh my god i'm rux and i'm gonna go back in time and the game's gonna start over and that's the way to justify doing multiple playthroughs but that ended up not being case that was just something that is the way that they can explain new game plus though because if you if you do that ending and then you start a game again uh the narrator will be like oh the, wait a minute I, I think i've done this before oh cool yeah that's awesome uh the first time through did you did you pick the go back in time ending no hell no <laughs> okay yeah i picked the go forward ending yeah uh it's it's just like the the it's like well should we go back and try again or should we try to pick up the pieces from yeah, what we have so it I is just went with that um zia talks to you and says like you know everything that i've ever done uh everything good that has mm -hmm. ever happened to me has been after the calamity right like i you know her mom died her, her uh she didn't have like a great life growing up so she's like all right you know this has been like nice which I I don't know I don't know what how bad your life is there like this apocalypse is better but <laughs> well you know. she's like you know I met you guys and now I'm, I'm safe friends. and yeah. I've learned so much uh, so yeah like it's it's a nice sentiment like even though something bad happened yeah good comes of it yeah I mean I more feel bad because we never got into Zolf's background. Like, Zolf, I feel the most bad for because he feels justified well, I, for what I, he's doing. Zolf's background is not particularly plot relevant. It's no. more just for his character. Yeah, it's revealed in his who knows where that he, like, grew up and was very, like, prim and proper. Eventually came to, like, Ceylandia uh, and became, like, friends with people around. Well, he went to Ceylandia because a missionary from mm -hmm. Ceylandia went to his Ura village. Didn't he raise him? Uh, yeah, he took him in because yeah. his parents like didn't care were dead or something. Yeah. Um. So Zolf goes back to Ceylandia to be like a goodwill ambassador to try and do good to be a yeah. missionary. Especially because like the Ura are like treated like shit. Yeah. Um. Because like the, like in, Zia's backstory they have like, you know there was a boy that she met and like the boy, like, had, uh, like almost it felt like she, she was getting like bullied by him. I don't think she is, because I think, like, he, like, you know, they talk about, like, oh, if you use the Ura language outside of the country, it's, like, considered a huge insult, mm -hmm. um, which I don't think he did on purpose, but it's implied that, like, other people around Zia would, like, make fun of her and stuff for her heritage. Um, so I, uh, I think Zolf probably got some of the same treatment. Yeah, there's no reason to think he wouldn't have gotten that. Yeah. yeah. Um and then he, but he does meet someone that he falls in love with. Yeah, he meets somebody, falls in love with them, proposes to them, uh, and she says yes. And then uh, they're all ready to get married, and then the calamity happens. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, he goes back to his home, and he, like, tries, uh, after the calamity, and he tries to, um, uh, tries to touch her, and she turns to ash. And right. It's like, oh my god, that's, that's horrible. 
So yeah. Zolf had the, everything set up to have a nice life, and then everyone he knew died. <laughs> yeah, which is very sad. And then he finds out that it was the city mm-hmm. trying to like get back or whatever at his people, especially because he, you know, he tried to be good. Right. Good. He, like he's like, you know, I'm I'm a good person. Mm-hmm. So why did this have to happen to me? Because I'm an an era. Yeah, you know? he he did everything right. So yeah. Uh, up until he uh, got angry at the people at the Bastion or whatever, but I mean, to be honest, like I, I don't. I mean, that's the question. Like, do you think he's justified in his reasoning? Or uh, I mean, I think uh, I understand. My thing is, I don't know what he was trying to do by attacking the Bastion. He just mm. didn't want civilization to come back. I think he's certainly justified to be angry because I think it's implied in the journal at the very least well i guess i don't know because rux is the one who built the bastion he designed it right so i don't know if the journal says that the time travel can happen if he knew the bastion could i mean i guess the kid and is going around collecting cores and rux is saying the bastion can bring the world back so maybe zolf is like no like any i don't know what that means but any chance to bring the world back i don't want because fuck those people and in that case i i understand that um and so maybe he, there's a bit of a weird plot discrepancy there yeah i would love to hear other people's thoughts on that or maybe we missed some detail mm-hmm. um and you know he doesn't like kill ruckus or rux um yeah he, and he doesn't uh he warns the kid he's like hey i have no problem with you but like we i'm gonna destroy the bastion um so he's not like if there is any badness to what he's doing he's trying to go about it seemingly in a uh you know a pretty non-cruel way so i I think zolf is a very sympathetic character i think he's a sympathetic character i don't i don't know i i i I, again i don't know that it's like right that he destroyed the bastion but Mm -hmm. i I think he has every right to be mad of course yeah i i think and then the fact that his uh people like beat him to death and leave him for dead it's like he is just someone who has been extremely wronged and there's nothing that's that's very easy to sympathize with yeah um it's just if i I think the reason why i wouldn't even call him a villain but the reason why he's the antagonist at the end is just because he chose violence i guess yeah and i don't even know that he's necessarily like an antagonist because it doesn't feel like there's like an antagonist like yeah. if anything like the city more feels like the antagonist right. especially in the ways that Rux talks about it like he talks about a lot of like the areas that you'll go to like you'll go to to mines and they'll be like you know we just kept digging mm-hmm. we just kept digging and digging and digging for more resources you know there's like the the um the observatory and they're like you know these people are all tra- always trying to like learn the secrets of whatever and they weren't like really paying attention to what uh what the consequences were Mm. um you know them there's talk about like the uh the people trying to go out and like tame the wilds yeah you know so well there's even a part where you're going through the mines or whatever and rux is talking about how like the people of ceylandia um made some kind of trade with the uh era people because these used to be their minds or something mm-hmm. he has some line about like yeah we got this 
in an exchange with the Ur people, and maybe we didn't do it like you know, yeah, on the up and up. It was a little questionable too. So that implies like the Ceylonian people like were intentionally short ending the Ur people for their land. Feels like you know, <laughs> uh, native people versus yeah. white people and right. white people fucking up everything. Yeah, and so you know, to that end, and that's an interesting perspective. Like the city is the villain. The city is decimated when you start the game mm -hmm. right so the whole game you're trying to rebuild the city only for the uh you know more interesting and proper decision at the end to be leave the city behind and try to move forward like together yeah so that's that's a very interesting um you know way to get that point across yeah and like you, you know they they'll go into like you know, the consumerism of like, oh, we built like plushies for like these gods and yeah. whatever. And we didn't, we didn't respect them. And it's very much implied that the gods are real. Yeah. That it's like, you know, you activate the shrines and like, uh, Rux will be like, the gods ain't going to help you now, son. <laughs> and it's like, oh, like I'm activating them. Like I'm, I'm like praying to them, but then the gods are like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like that aspect too, where like, um, at first I was like, oh, it's a God thing. It'll power me up. But it's like, no, I was looking at it and I was like, oh, this makes the game harder. Why would mm -hmm. I want this? Uh, so that was an interesting. Normally, if there's like a God helping you out in a game, it's some kind of positive yeah. connotation. Hades, you get boons <clears throat> from the gods. Right. There you go. I've never played Hades, but there you go. Uh, and yeah, that was a cool moment, too, when you get the little plushie of the ox god or the bull god or whatever. And you show it to Zolf and it's like Zolf is like doesn't like it and seems kind of offended that you have a plushie of it yeah. of the god uh which is like oh that makes sense um so there's lots of really again this game is deceptively simple where like mm -hmm. if you're just playing it um you know there's there's uh stuff there to take in but if you think about it more and talk about yeah. it more uh there's a lot more going on yeah. um, which is probably why it's endured as long yeah. as it has and so you decided to leave the city yeah i left the city and i flew away with Zolf and Zia and Rux and my pets. Yeah. And I, I like that little cutscene at the end where you uh uh where you're seeing them like all like Zolf is like cooking some food with the squirt. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and you're all like coming together and mm -hmm. like uh just looking out on the sights and being like and uh uh Rux is like, oh hell, you done did it now. And he's like, and he's like, oh, we can never go back. But uh, I mean, I guess we're we're gonna go forward, and we're gonna we're gonna see what's out there, and see yeah. if anybody else can can be saved. I don't. It's implied that he probably doesn't agree with it, but he's like, I guess, and like it's implied, you know, that like, you know, obviously the kid doing it, the player character being like, yeah, but like Zia doing it is very much like this is a positive, and Zolf has no reaction. And yeah. when you go when you go back to the Bastion with him. He's just face down on the ground. Yeah. And, He's uh, essentially out of the game. Yeah. Uh, if you walk up to him, Rux will be like, why'd you have to go and bring him back? <laughs> you know? And it's like, I, I, I don't know if Rux is like racist or not. I don't know if that's implied. Well, I mean, I, I think... Or if he's just supposed to be more neutral. I think the underlying theme is, I mean, Rux is old. He's uh, assuming he's born and raised in Ceylandia. So I, I think the implication is like, uh, you know, he represents like the old ways, like he, okay. he represents the past. Uh, so 
uh, or, or maybe like the status quo before the calamity. Um, and, in, and, you know, even within the game, he's telling the story of the kids. So he's kind of like reflecting on, on the past up to that point. So, uh, you know, maybe you could interpret that uh, he is in favor of bringing back the city of Ceylandia as someone who's old, as someone who grew up in the city. But the kid, by virtue of being young, and maybe that's the parallel with their hair, mm. um, the kid represents the future. And if you go back in time, um, you're just going to perpetuate the cycle if you keep focusing on the past. But because you're a kid uh, and you choose to move forward to the future, the past or like Rux might be begrudging to leave behind uh, some other stuff. But ultimately, it's it's the better choice for uh, the kid. It's a better choice for the old the the old people. It's a better choice for Zia, who, who uh, sort of represent like the mixing of two cultures. And it's a better choice for Zolf, too, who represents like the more... Uh, traditional uh cultures of his people um so you know i i think rux probably would be against moving forward for that reason for a thematic reason okay that's a good good point it's well sound out good point i i would agree yeah i, I mean i would agree with that yeah sentiment there, what what do you think is the underlying message of the game like what's the thesis um i mean i i i think you you hit the nail on the head with like you know, we can't go back. We shouldn't look at like the past as something that should be revered, especially mm -hmm. in the ways that they talk about the the city and the way that they talk about the people and whatnot. And obviously, like we don't get that much background about the rest of the people living in the city. Mm -hmm. You get a lot of background about like the very vague, like or very uh, what would it be? Boilerplate? I don't know what it, what the word would be. Uh, very just broad idea of like. Ceylandia, Tal Terminals, and obviously they're going to be good and bad people in like both areas. Mm -hmm. um, but it's like very much, you know, implied that uh, most people in Ceylandia are racist. So um, it's probably a good thing that they that they got their comeuppance. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I don't know. It's it's uh, it's I, I think that is the theme of just of letting the letting the past go being okay with moving forward and trying your best to uh, look for the path to, uh, you know, like try to come together and work together. You have mm. Ceylandia, Ceylandian people and Ura people coming together, maybe looking for different people who uh, like go and have different cultures. You know, they kind of like, I think at the loading screens, they show like the planet and it's kind of like bursting out of, ground you get like a more of an idea of what the planet might look like and this right. is like more of an interpretation of like what the area looks like mm -hmm. uh and i don't know how big it is but it looks pretty big so i'm sure that there are other people around who who maybe survived and uh hey maybe we can find them and help them out and and figure it out let let the past die mm -hmm. and let uh let let's go on and and figure things out uh because I don't know. The, sometimes the past sucks. <laughs> I, I you think put that's, it better in, uh, than me. No, I think that's certainly the implication. Is like, uh, let's let's see what's out there instead of continuing to try and relive the past. Especially with the way that the the city's always being built, like around you. Yeah, it's literally, a, new, a new path. Yeah, literally, like the 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 ground is built up under you. Whereas, like, when you eventually like like you blow up 
the city basically mm -hmm. uh, and leave and then like the cutscenes the cutscene of like you flying is like nothing's like around you yeah. but i you know i don't know if if uh if again like that's the city is literally being built i i interpret that as as just like the the rux telling the story and so the city gets built as he describes it you know? yeah that's that's an interesting i didn't even think about that like the is that literally happening or yeah is that just the the process of storytelling that's an interesting filter to look at that through yeah and i i think that like you blowing up is like okay we're not going to try to build this anymore yeah uh, it's interesting too, in the game, the idea of like taking pieces of the past of the old world and using it to make progress is even represented by like the items that you pick up. You know, uh, the the main item that I enjoyed using in the game was the scrap musket. Yeah. And uh, it's like... We haven't gone into the weapons. Yeah, God. let's talk about the weapons. Pivot. Uh, boop, 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 pivot. Lol. This is the, what we called a pivot. Everyone in the city died. Lol. Pivot time. So you have the scrap musket, and it's like literally made of scrap. Uh, and all your weapons, everything you get to upgrade them is, uh, you know, like pieces of things. It's it's like something mm -hmm. stringy, something gross. It's not whole parts. It's remnants of the city that you're using to uh, arm yourself to to make progress. Uh, and, and another interesting tidbit about like the world of this game and like the character in the story and like the world building uh, every weapon and every like uh, drink and upgrade that you get has kind of like a tidbit about it. Mm -hmm. It's like he, this will increase your health by fifty percent, and then there's like a little in-world uh, sort of like note or perspective from Rux on what it is, where it's like you know this weapon would send them run for the hills or something. Um, so it's just another kind of interesting little tidbit about uh, the way that the past is revered or preserved or talked about it's it, even in like items and everyday things we're always talking about what used to be um but yeah i favored two weapons in the game particularly uh the scrap musket and the fang repeater or repeater okay let's go over all the weapons because i was talking to ryan via text and i was like i can't believe that a game like this that's so deceptively simple hmm. has so many ways to play it and you get a new weapon like every single level almost yeah. uh there are i think 12 weapons in the game and i wrote them all down because i was like holy shit there's a lot of these List and some of them i didn't even remember there's your hammer uh the sail hammer which the kid starts with he's like it's the kid's only friend the kid's <laughs> best friend because uh, he would go and smash stuff on the wall yeah that was his job yeah um there's the the fang repeater, uh, which is like a rapid fire shooty gun. Mm -hmm. uh, there's your shield, which I would count as a weapon because there's a proving ground for it, uh, and uh, you can counter with it, so you can like defeat enemies with it. Uh, and there's a bow and arrow. There's a machete, um, the scrap musket, the dueling pistols. Uh, is it the marshal's pike? Yeah. Okay. Or the, is it no, the, the Marshall rifle. But yeah, the Marshall's it. rifle. There's a there's a pike, uh, and then uh, there's the fire bellows, uh, the mortar, uh, galleon mortar, uh, and the uh, calamity cannon. Mm -hmm. And then the ram, which is not like yeah. an item, but it's like a, a thing you you can never get, get to upgrade the ram. Yeah, you don't get it in your arsenal. Yeah, 
but there's a, a lot of weapons and you can upgrade every single one to like level five uh they get like different um different upgrades like you can be like i want my scrap musket to have longer range i want it to uh have you know a shorter barrel but and be able to to hit people close up and have like a wide like a really tight spread you know but I, and all the upgrades are like sacrificing one for the other so mm -hmm. you're like i want this scrap musket to fire uh have a fi longer fire range but then you know i want the the spread to be tighter mm -hmm. you know so it's a nice give and take that you get for every single one of the weapons and yeah. i like that uh all the weapons are uh fairly well developed again it's very simple there's no like real combos in the game uh if you're hitting with the pike it's pretty much just i'm hitting the x button and my pike is hitting forward mm -hmm. but you know all, a lot of the weapons have an alternate fire almost like the machete you can throw the machete the uh the pike you can throw the pike uh you can um you can't that's pretty much it <laughs> there's not really like bow like oh like i'm gonna like super fire the bow or whatever there's like on the bow and the um uh the mortar and the rifle you can do like a super attack if you hit it at the right time you have crosshairs that meet like in the middle and on the mortar it like as long as you're you if you like fire from far enough away once it hits a certain point it will do like more damage mm -hmm. so you kind of have like a power shot on all the those weapons um uh and they all have their own proving ground which is kind of like mastering each weapon and they go into like who used them so like the marshall rifle it'll be like here's the marshals you know we're going to talk about them and, yeah. and how they they were cleaned their rifles how they liked to to make sure that this course that they would shoot on was perfect and everybody will go out and, and try to make sure that they were the best uh and you get different like prizes so you get like different upgrade materials for like performing well and the trials and like the last one and every, like the top prize is always like a super move so uh yeah and uh, every weapon is pretty fun to use every weapon is pretty different to use so you can really uh if you play through this game you can pick a loadout that works best for you like it's it's pretty customizable that way yeah it's uh i like that it switches up all the time and i like that there are weapons that feel better suited for uh different areas like once i got like the fire bellows uh you fire you fight a lot of plants in that area in mm -hmm. armored enemies so it becomes much more useful to use that because the fire bellows will just burn away the plant like monsters uh and some of them will like go and like kind of close up so you can't attack them but you can use the fire bellows and just be like nope i'm gonna burn you to death yeah well it's interesting we didn't talk about this too much but because the gameplay is deceptively simple the way that the gameplay is varied up is not in giving you more options for combat it's giving you more uh enemy varieties a different variety of enemies to fight so like you're saying there's parts where you have to fight the flowers uh, there's parts where you have to fight uh enemies that are like big targets that move slow uh like there's there's different ways to engage with the different enemies and the different loadouts that you can do can certainly affect that too yeah. like i the, there's a part with flowers flower enemies that if you shoot them once or if you give them damage they close mm -hmm. uh for you know five or six seconds and you can't hurt them uh when they're closed so uh, if you have the um 
rifle, you can aim it and kill them in one hit before they get a chance mm-hmm. to close. But that's not how I played. I would just shoot them and then let them close and then wait for them to open and then shoot them again and kill them. I didn't... Uh, we talked about this off off camera. We were texting about it. Uh, like, I... Playing a game like this, I like to get the weapons that I like and stick with them. I don't like to um, vary it up. Like, I certainly appreciate that the game is offering a bunch of new weapons. But when I get in the groove, I don't want to stop halfway through the level to learn a new weapon to use. Yeah. Um, so I, I certainly, uh, like I said, I appreciate the weapon variety and it's fun and it makes you feel a real sense of progression. But for me, uh, once the gameplay is established, you know, like when I played Bioshock Infinite, um, as soon as I figured out that I like the shotgun pistol combo, I just upgraded the shotgun and pistol and I did not use any other weapons in the whole game because <laughs> that's fun to me to just master those two weapons for the for the playthrough. And I guess I, I'm more along the lines of like, I like mastering everything that a game has to offer. You know, I, I, I'm an achievement hunter um, and I go after all those. So like when the, it was like, hey, here's the proving grounds. Like, here's how you can like master the weapons by go through this area and you have to destroy all of the uh, targets with the fang repeater while like the platforms are collapsing behind you. And if, if you can do them all and in time, like, you know, uh, it will, uh, you'll unlock this, this special ability and you'll unlock some more upgrade materials. Like, you know, uh, Rux will have different stuff that he'll say, like, he'll be like, you know, oh, the kid was real proud when he came back and, had a uh, and cleared the course at this area, and you're like, oh, that's like really cool. Like, yeah, for you know. sure. The 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 proving grounds, and proving grounds are just like the um, who knows where, like horde modes, where any chance to add more gameplay without introducing new gameplay elements, while also peppering in like story and kind of like flavor of the world. Um, that is a really good decision, and really helps expand the game in a way that doesn't make it feel bloated or padded. Mm-hmm. Um, I. But I, I'm just saying, like, the I like to stick with stuff that I know works. I'm usually the same way. Like, for instance, in, like, the Souls games, uh, I would usually pick a weapon and then be like, I'm going to stick with this. Sure. And then maybe I might find something down the line where I'm like, this does more damage, so I'm going to use it. Or like, oh, I like, I, I like using this a little bit more. But usually I do stick with one. Uh, I think I've, because I've played this game a lot, um, you know, I, I'm used to all the weapons, so I'm okay with with switching there are definitely weapons that i'm like i don't like this i don't really like the hammer um sure uh because it's just it's kind of just like one and done like hit and then move on and it's not very good especially when there's like a lot of enemies around uh i never really liked like the bone repeater i like uh the the martial rifle more Mm -hmm. like i I think that that's more fun to use there it's the the eventual like crosshairs meeting up and getting like it's not uh, they go in like a a, op, uh, an, a op, V pattern, an obtuse triangle, <laughs> a V, a V, and it, and it gets closer into each other and becomes like more acute. Yeah, and uh, and actually, uh, when it goes down to the very middle, it goes to a line. The power shot is not the line; mm. it's like further out uh, into a like the smaller V. Oh, okay. which is really cool because um, you'll still hit the enemy uh, with that. Um, but like getting that groove down and getting that rhythm down of being able to get that mm-hmm. is really cool. Mm-hmm. And like, I think what I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like this game will be like, Hey, here's the dueling pistols. 
and it'll give it to you at the beginning of the level uh, and then you're just stuck with them and for one thing it doesn't tell you hey we're gonna put them on x or uh b so you're kind of just like wait did you just put it on like my hammer i've yeah. been using the hammer uh. i like the hammer and uh especially like if you're if you're like well you know i have the hammer and i have you know uh the pike i guess all the weapons except for the the hammer are have some way of doing long range mm. except for i guess the the fire bellows um but if you're you know you're using these weapons and you're kind of used to them you can kind of be like oh shit like i don't really like the throw on the machete so i feel like i'm like using the hammer and the machete so i'm i'm like not i'm not doing long range damage like i was doing when i had the the repeater right you know right and it's it's uh it puts you in that position multiple times where like on the one hand I understand it from a game design perspective. You're varying up the gameplay, which mm -hmm. is usually a positive, and it is a positive in this case. Uh, and you need the player to get used to this weapon, so you can't give them a weapon and then immediately give them the option to unequip it. Um, but you know, it's just like, like you said, you get in the groove with the rifle, and then all of a sudden the rifle is taken away, and you have to learn a whole new thing. Um, like in Hades, is there anything like that? Do they ever no. give you stuff? Happen? Because they want you to get, I'm assuming, they want you to get into your own style of gameplay, yeah. your own groove. You pick you know? up a weapon at the beginning of each run. There you go. And that's your that's your weapon for the whole run. Right. And maybe that's a lesson they learned after Bastion, or maybe not. Yeah, I'm maybe, not sure. Maybe lesson's the wrong word, but maybe they said, you know what, actually, we want the player to have one weapon to, that they get really good with throughout the whole run. So Fun fact, uh, there is a documentary for all their games by Noclip. Ooh. So uh, I do want to play all of them because I think that with Supergiant, all their games are unique. They've never done a sequel except for Hades 2, <laughs> which they're working on now. Right. Um, and so, that Hades 1 was such a monster that's success. why they're doing Hades 2. Yeah, they, um, of course they're going to do Hades 2. <laughs> but, uh, but that's why I would like to play the rest of them, because they're all unique, and they all have their own style and, like, flavor. Well, there's still definitely, like, a, like, this is the studio that made, like, a Studio Ghibli get film. You're like, I know what a Studio Ghibli film right. is. You're like, I know what a Supergiant game is. Right. But, you know, there's like, the, the, each one of them is is different. You know, this one's like more of a isometric action game. They're all isometric, I guess, except for Pyre. Uh, uh, but Transistor is more about like uh, picking like combos to, and like almost like programming. Uh, and I really like Transistor. We'll get that out if we if and when we play that and mm -hmm. then pyre is a sports game <laughs> kind of okay uh that's cool I, where i was like i don't want to fucking play this at all and then i played it i was like this is fucking amazing and i love it <laughs> okay and then uh Hades expecting is, that. is very similar to bastion right but i i like i think that the weapons in this game are like i i i think that it's nice that they give you these weapons and especially in like new game plus i think you can use any of them that you yeah. want it said so, that yeah at the end of the game you can have um, all your weapons that's really nice and like going back and especially because there's like a bunch of replayability with like score attack modes and like if you haven't completed all the who knows where it's like all right like here's like a bunch of different stuff that i can do so like maybe like at the first time you're like ah, i'm annoyed that i have to do this like you know it's a game that that encourages some replayability you're definitely not going to level all the way up at the at the end and like yeah. the skulls are like these nice 
uh, little modifiers that you can be on and be like, I want to challenge myself to beat the game with like these modifiers on. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I like that there's weapon variety. I, my, I do have a problem with don't just randomly pick a slot for it to be in. I'm sure it's not random. I think what they were doing is like, here's a more like longer range weapon and we're going to, or like whatever, uh, slower one, we're going to put it in B or a uh, circle. And then right. here's a like slower or melee-ish weapon. We're going to put it in X. And mm -hmm. they put like the martial rifle in X and like the galleon mortar in X. So that's why I think it was like more so uh, saying like, a slower weapon will go here. A fast weapon, like like the machete, will go in B. Right. Well, I mean, part of it too is just like some of those weapons I just didn't think were particularly enjoyable to use. Yeah, I don't really like the um, the fang repeater, as I've said. I don't really like the bow. Um, so I like the machete. Uh, I like the musket. I like the pistols a little bit. Sometimes the pistols, it's like. I don't have enough ammo, so like I keep running out of ammo. ammo. But they definitely they have a cool sound. Yeah, and they look the kid looks cool when he uses the pistols. Mm -hmm. uh, I I like the Fang Repeater. That was my primary, secondary. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of it. I, there's something I liked that I could like roll away and then fire for a sec and then roll away and then fire for a sec. Did you beat the proving grounds for that? Uh, no, I did not. I didn't do too many of the proving grounds. Okay. I was just that one, to get the story. That one's cool because I like that. Like Rox is talking about like. You know, he had to know when to, like, dodge. Like he, he was like, the kid knew that he would have to move when it was reloading. Yeah. So, like, he'll, like, talk about and, like, give you hints about, like, you know, on the on the rifle one, he'll be like, sometimes you just got to aim for the hip. And, like, it's because there are targets that are really close to you and you can hit them by, you don't have to charge up the, the, uh, the attack you just, you just can fire. fire it you know well that was my strategy uh with playing i would use the scrap musket and the fang repeater and i would uh fire with the scrap musket and then switch to the fang repeater and then unload and then when that was reloading i would switch back to the mm. scrap musket and fire yeah um so just like switching in between both weapons now that's cool that you used a weapon combo that i didn't because i used like the pike and uh the musket and then switched like the rifle you're a and pike they... and musket guy Ugh, <laughs> that's disgusting yeah uh, but yeah you could really customize it and uh do what works best for you i think multiple playthroughs is definitely uh like i i like this game and if i played through it again i know i would have a much better time just getting in the groove with my weapons it's probably uh very methodical very meditative in a way uh it's on switch you don't have it on switch but it, it's like it feels like a perfect like portable game because it's yeah. not very long. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, what did you think about the cannon? Because they very much give you the cannon and are like, use this to destroy the big like towery the information things. terminals or whatever they were. Yeah, yeah you get it towards the end. Uh, it was like cool. Of a present, and you're like, oh, <laughs> cool. Yeah, and it's, it's like it's a big fucking cannon. The thing that's fun about the weapons, they do this with all of them, and they do it with the cannon is. When you get it, the next like three to five minutes of the level is designed specifically to cater to that weapon as mm -hmm. much as possible. So with the cannon, when you get it, you're walking around and there's like three enemies standing right there and you fire the cannon once and you kill all three of them. And it's satisfying as fuck. Yeah. Uh, or there's like big barriers in the way and you shoot them and you get rid of them immediately. So uh, I had a good time with the cannon, but uh, 
slow walk. I mean, I guess you don't walk too much slower, but I, I just like, I don't like the way it plays. I like the musket because it had a, a better spread. You know, I can get enemies that were close uh, with the cannon. I don't like having to determine like how close do I need I to was, be. I upgraded it to like fire super fast in order to just <laughs> su- a bit be really really far away yeah. and just could murder everyone and i was like this is the best that see at the very end of the game it was pike and uh cannon mostly cannon sure i mean that's what sounds fun is like going through and trying upgrading weapons fully and seeing what you get and seeing how it changes things up like yeah it's really admirable the way that they packed i think as much as they could have into this this mm-hmm. gameplay yeah so yeah i um, I'm curious, uh, would you recommend Bastion? I would recommend it wholeheartedly. Who would you recommend it to? Uh, anyone who likes kind of Diablo-ish games, but doesn't give a shit about loot. Like, sure. more so cares about, like, story. Because, I mean, if you're, if you don't like story, if you just want to, like, mute this game, or, like, put on a podcast or whatever, don't bother playing it because it does come from an era that was very very simple um especially like, for an indie game yeah it's very very simple in the gameplay you're if you play it nowadays like even i was like oh shit okay this this feels way more simple than i remember i remember there being more combos well so I, I think for that reason if you've never played a game like diablo like i've never played a game uh, all the way through, like an isometric, um, top-down action game. Uh, I've never played played a game like this all the way through. So for me, it was a nice, like, baby's first uh, isometric action game. So if you think Hades looks fun, but you're intimidated to try it like I was, um, play Bastion. And if you got a good handle on that, then uh, maybe one or two playthroughs of that will get you ready or in the right frame of mind for something like Hades. Yeah. Cause I'll admit I heard Hades was hard and I was like, I want to play it, but I'm worried I won't be, it'll be too much of a learning curve for me and I'll get frustrated. But I would like to play Hades on the podcast. Uh, that's way further down on the line compared to their other games. Mm-hmm. Um, Hades is very, uh, hold your hand about it. And it like, there's like stuff in Hades where, you know, it's a roguelike, so every time you die, you have to start over, but, like, you can level yourself outside of it. You can uh, turn on, like, a god mode that's just, like, every time you die, your HP goes up a little bit. Oh, okay. So it's, like, they're, they're, like that game is very much, uh, like, hey, we want you to succeed, so die as much as possible. That's fine. Eventually, you'll beat it, and we're here for you as you keep trying. Oh, so cool. That game's very, very well made and well done with its difficulty well bastion is too yeah so that's bastion uh uh, play it now on everywhere on on anything even mobile yeah you can play it on your phone not you can't play it on ds but other than that damn it (laughs) uh, i i can't imagine like this on ds uh, you're not going to be able to use or buy it on 3DS anymore. No? I don't know if it was on Wii U. Probably was. Probably. I, you know, what's? I was just watching a video about Epic Mickey today. and uh, Epic, <laughs> What a game. I know, right? Epic Mickey 2. I would 2, like to play that on that. I, well, that's why I was I looking know. into it, because I was like, I would maybe want to play that for the podcast. Because the first one, 
is still pretty well regarded. The second one I don't think is as well regarded, but the second one was released on 360, PS3, Wii U, Wii, and then I think uh, like Xbox One as well. Like the the second one had, I was shocked at how many platforms it was on. I was and shocked that game got a sequel. Abs- well, and you know what? Uh, the sequel sold gangbusters. Really? No, it totally bombed. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, we have not seen Epic Mickey 3. I think you are a liar, yeah, sir. No, the, the sequel was a financial disaster for, the first for one Warren Spector. The first one sold, I think, over a million. Like, it, it sold well, yeah. Is that, like, well? Because, I mean, you know, you, you look at something like Tomb Raider and it sold, like, like the remake of Tomb Raider in 2012, 2013, mm-hmm. uh, that sold, like, you know, six million or seven million, like, right. uh, and it's like first year, or few months, and they were like financial disaster, <laughs> and you're like, what the? F- okay, or like the Avengers game that sold uh, a couple million, I think, and they were like, no one's playing this game. Well, nobody was playing the yeah, game. They, it might have sold well, but that's a live service game, so it didn't. Maybe it didn't sell well, actually. Avengers, I mean, but Epic Mickey won. I don't remember the exact figure, but it definitely sold well. Okay. It was not a gamble. That's interesting. To make Epic Epic Mickey 2. Because you don't see a lot of Disney games. There's now the Disney, like, live service, like, almost, is it a card game? It's like, uh, it was in the Nintendo oh, Direct. Oh, yeah, the, like Disney Magic Kingdom or yeah, Magic Infinity. Something. I don't remember what it's called. Disney I Suck My Ass or whatever it's called. <laughs> you're like, you can be Belle and she fucking has superpowers. And you're like... <laughs> okay oh you're talking about that one that's like defenders of the realm or something there's that and i guess there is the magic kingdom yeah, there's like yeah, the yeah, yeah. the life sim game and then there's like the action there's the hearthstone ripoff yeah where yeah yeah where it's like i'm sully from monsters inc but if he was a cool warrior yeah which like if i had infinite if i could go into a time bubble <laughs> and just be like i'm gonna fucking play all the video games that is one of those games that i would be like fucking let's go man hey if i was i'm, I'm okay with no dude getting without, sully as a badass absolutely 14 year old me 13 12 10 9 8 year old me uh hey all your favorite disney characters are cool badass cards that you can play as to defend the realm i i would think that's cool but i i, I don't think that's cool i right don't now. have the time to play don't have the time or money or interest and the disney uh but i will say i have logged 200 hours in the Disney uh, Life Simulator game, Magic Kingdom. So Are you 200 plus. You have not. No, I haven't. No. You don't have the time. You're too busy waking up in the morning and be like, time for my Smash Bros. cocaine fix. I Smash Bros. and coffee, but yes. And I will be doing that tomorrow morning. Uh, I'm surprised because the, uh, the Mickey, like, what is it called? The Mickey. Epic Mickey? Epic Mickey's Magic Kingdom Deluxe thingy. <laughs> the one uh, where it has the modern Mickey cartoon art style. On Switch. Oh, that's coming out? Yeah. yeah. It comes uh-huh. out July. That game looks sick. That does look like a good uh, game. And um, I'm surprised that is coming out and get is getting as much traction as it is. Because I'm like, I don't know that this game is going to be a fucking gangbuster hit. Because I don't know if kids are like, I want to play the Mickey Mouse, the hard well, Mickey Mouse platform. You don't need to hook in kids. You need to hook in parents. Parents know who Mickey Mouse is, so they'll buy that game for their kids. Mm. And you know what? I think uh, Disney is really trying to break into the video game realm. Uh, Like, I don't think they have a strong foothold in it, other than Kingdom Hearts. They lost the Avengers game Mm because it got shut down. Uh, And now it's pretty much Marvel Snap, which is doing 
fucking incredible. Uh, is it? I thought it was not no, doing it's, good. it's doing amazing. I, really? I thought yeah. you told me a thing that... No, it's doing great. That's the Marvel... The um, card game. The card game? Okay. Yeah. Oh. It's doing great. Like, it, it, you know, it was nominated for, like, some games of the year, like, mobile games of the year, and, like, fucking... They're, they're doing... I mean, it's a fucking card game, and it's Marvel, and people... Like, it's free to play, and oh, matches okay. are less than five minutes. Oh, well, yeah, so, of course. That's a recipe for success. And all the cards are free. You don't, like, pay for packs. Right. You, like... Uh, I haven't played it, but the way that I understand is, like, you... Uh, like, just earn in-game currency to get the card unlocks instead of, like, the only cosmetics or the only, uh, like, things that they're selling are cosmetics. So mm. you're not paying the money to to get, like, the card back. So there's not, like, I'm going to win because it's I'm going to... Yeah, it's not pay to yeah. win. It's pay um, to look cool. Yeah. Mm. But it still takes a lot of time to unlock everything. Sure. Um, but, yeah. Uh, that's Epic Mickey. That's, that was our review of Epic Mickey. Wait, actually, did you did you ever hear the story about how Disney got the rights back to Oswald the Lucky Rabbit? No, I thought you were going to talk about the fucking art for Epic Mickey. And I was like, oh, that I remember story, seeing yes. that as a fucking Game Informer. And my friend bring it over and yeah. he was like, bro, this looks sick. And everybody was like, this looks awesome. And then like later on down, down the line, uh, it was like, it was like, yeah, those are, that was all concept art. Like, there nobody was ever gonna make fucked up Donald Duck. Yeah, yeah, we're not one of the. We're art, not making post-apocalyptic Disney anything. From that specific line of concept art, there's an image of like Jafar mixed with Winnie the Pooh mixed with Donald Duck. Yeah, and like a David Cronenberg like monstrosity, yes. uh, and it looks awesome. But yeah, they were never gonna do that. No. Yeah, the closest thing they'll ever come to it is uh, the uh, Chippendale movie. The end of yeah. that movie. I won't spoil that movie, but it has a moment like that where yeah. I was like, how the fuck did they convince Disney to do this? A bunch of D-list characters is how they did it. Yeah. Uh, the Chippendale movie gets their money's worth for Jim Cummings. But for uh, real quick to end it, uh, uh, Disney, uh, Bob Iger, when he became Disney CEO, he, for some reason, one of his mission statements was that he really wants to get the rights to Oswald the Lucky <laughs> Rabbit back. He said that, like, as soon as he became CEO. That's he was, fucking weird. Yeah, and for anyone who doesn't know, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit was uh, a character that predates, is a character that predates Mickey Mouse that was also co-created by Walt Disney. Uh, but uh, for whatever reason, public domain, legality, whatever, Disney doesn't own the rights to that character, or at least did not own the rights to that character. Universal... Uh, home of Universal Studios owned the rights to Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Uh, but then in like 2007 or 2008, whenever Bob Iger was like, we have to get Oswald the Lucky Rabbit back. Literally nobody knows about Oswald yeah, the no Lucky one, Rabbit. But it was some he's, like... He's now like like coming back a little bit, but yeah. like in Epic Mickey 2 and he just now, like this year, like 2023 or like the end of 2022, just got a character in disney world really like, for the first time ever wow cool ever i'm like well, holy shit he's like a cult underground yeah. icon like he's yeah. very popular in certain circles oswald is mm -hmm. uh, but yeah he's a very interesting the history of that character is very interesting yeah. culminating with disney getting the rights back to him uh where uh this game comes along epic mickey uh and they're like hey it would be fun to bring back oswald and Bob Iger was like, you're so right. Fuck, we should get Oswald. <laughs> and then, uh, so there was some, like, negotiation going on uh, with Universal Studios. And 
Disney Studios or the Walt Disney Corporation and the Universal Corporation, whatever, they worked out a trade where uh, Disney wanted Oswald. Did they take fucking uh, <clears throat> Hulk? They didn't. Uh, Disney did not own Hulk no, no. at the time. Uh, no, not at the time. <laughs> Making uh, a joke. They wanted Oswald. It's almost, It's. I found it funnier than that. Disney wanted Oswald. And there was a handful of other animations that Walt Disney worked on. Walt Disney himself worked on. Okay. Uh, that Universal owned. And Disney said, give us those 30 or so animations and give us the right to Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. And we will take the current host of uh, like NFL Sport Zone, some big famous like John Madden level <laughs> guy who works on, on ABC, which is owned by Disney. Mm-hmm. And... We will trade his contract to you so he will then work for Universal uh, Sports Zone or whatever. <laughs> so they traded Oswald. They got Oswald and they traded a real human guy to Universal for him. <laughs> it's a very funny story. And it's very funny and very weird and very Disney. Yeah, right. I don't know who that person is, but like that doesn't that I don't watch sports at all, but mm-hmm. like. The sports stuff that's out there is like ESPN, and that's pretty much. I mean, there's other sports channels. Well, there was, but some... it's mostly ESPN, which is owned by Disney. Oh, so I, what I imagine is that it's you know he was working for ESPN and ABC, like sports, whatever, blah blah blah. That's exactly what it was, and for and he left that umbrella for some reason, like. The NFL's contract was up with ESPN, mm. and then his contract was up with ESPN. So Disney was like. Get out, Oswald. Get in. Uh, Al Michaels was his name. Oh, Al! I know Al Michaels. He's a household name. I don't know Al Michaels. <laughs> He's a household name, dude. In 2006, the Walt Disney Company acquired the trademark of Oswald with NBC Universal effectively trading Oswald for the services of Al Michaels as play-by-play announcer on NBC Sunday Night Football. Oswald returned in Disney's 2010 video game Epic Mickey. So yeah, Alan Michaels is 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 a fairly well known commentator. He's worth less than Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, according to Disney. <laughs> Apparently to them, but I mean he's 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 a good commentator. Yeah, but sorry for that tangent. That's uh, I don't. It's fine. We will I mean, probably never play Epic Mickey or Epic Mickey Two. I would so. like to play it. I mean, I know we're on a monthly basis now, sure. so we're not playing everything all the time. It's going to take forever to get the stuff maybe that we want to play, but you know. I would like to play it if you suggested it like earlier than I think you might. I, I would be like, yeah, let's we do that. Yeah, I'll think about it. Yeah, yeah. we'll think about it. It's uh, on I, the list. Yeah, I just shared the most interesting trivia fact about the yeah. game. But uh, other than that, we're uh, but we're we're coming to the end. We made it this far. Sorry about the the Mickey tangent, <laughs> the our, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, our Bastion episode. Yeah, but uh, but thank you for listening. Uh. Uh, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna, that, if you wanna, if you wanna listen to the next episode, the next episode is gonna be about Ryan. Psychonauts. We're gonna play Psychonauts, and you can listen to it next month. Uh, and if you wanna smash that like button, nice. and, and like, comment, and subscribe, yeah. you can, uh, go, go and, and follow us on the, on the burning hellscape of Twitter at at uh at podcast underscore pixels and and go right to us at infinite pixels podcast gmail.com and follow me on twitter uh ironheart one way three and ryan is at 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 s k y r d 
L Y? Nope, S K R Y D L Y. Sure. Uh, and that's it. Why don't you leave us a comment on the the uh, iTunes if you want or not? We're bad shells. Um, that's it. I didn't write anything this week. Did you write anything this week? Nope. Man, that sucks. All right. Well, have a good uh, rest of the month, everybody. Uh, stay cool as I put on sunglasses on this audio podcast. Bye-bye.